Hi, this is Saqib Rahman with the Orthoclips podcast series. And today we're going to be talking about outpatient total joints, why you should be doing them. And I am with Dr. Kevin Plancher. He is a clinical professor at Albert Einstein College of Medicine, orthopedic surgery, and also adjunct professor at Cornell University and Medical School in New York City. Uh, welcome, Dr. Plancher. Hi, Sadiq. Great to be here. So um, we'll get right into it. Uh, first, I want to ask, I know you've been doing this for a while. Um, how did you get into doing outpatient total joints? Why? Maybe is, can you tell either a story or what motivated you to start doing them? I'm really excited to be here to share about outpatient arthroplasty. Um, one had to, uh, many years, kind of buck a trend because we didn't have regulations that allowed us to take patients home. Many Medicare patients, you were required, even though sometimes they did quite well, they said, can I go home now? Especially some of the younger patients that were uh, receiving a total knee arthroplasty or even a total hip. And I said, I can't let you go home because the hospital said you must stay at least 24 hours, 23 hours or more. It seems silly at the time, and the government has caught up that the inpatient-only list is gone. And I said, that may be one thing, but the other thing that I really learned is that you can get much closer to your patient and really have a relationship if you really take care of them before to maximize their personal health, enjoy the technical skill in the operating room, and then afterwards really follow them to know how it's going from 24 hours out to the usual visits that uh, might occur. So it's now the patients came because I do uh, practice in New York City. We unfortunately, much like the rest of the world, were hit with COVID-19. Patients said, there's no way I'm going into a hospital. Yet some really needed care for an arthroplasty procedure. And so they said, what can you do for me? And it was known that like others, they're very competent, that outpatient arthroplasty, when done well and when patient selection is ideal, can be done successfully. And so COVID-19 did not stop us from then helping patients to get back to what they love to do and their personal health. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, certainly, I hear a lot of other reasons for moving to total joint arthroplasty, but I think that connection with your patient um, uh, is a great perspective. Um, so let me move into asking uh, what are some tips for those listeners who have uh, thought about it but not quite gotten started? You've been doing it for a while. Share a few of your tips for best practices for those who uh, are thinking about it. Um, I'd love to tell you that and I want you to think as you're sitting in the audience, whether you're a medical student, resident, or a community orthopedist, or someone in academics, that think of your own computer that you used 10 years ago, what it did, or what it does not do, and what it does today. It's different, and so we have to really think about how we can prepare our patients in the best fashion and prepare ourselves for this endeavor of outpatient arthroplasty. So I think the first tip is you must assess uh, the patient. You have to think about the health of the patient and that takes you beyond the orthopedic realm. You have to really ask and look for verbal and nonverbal cues. 
Are they anxious about the fact that they won't be in a hospital setting? Are they someone that has comorbidities? Are there certain things that drive them that they have no partner to take them home at the end of the day? The social determinants are essential to know when doing outpatient arthroplasty. After you assess, you have to anticipate all the issues. The last thing you would want as a surgeon and for the patient is a readmission uh, at any point, whether it be one day or two days. And there have been studies that show that those that are over the age of 80 may not be ideal for outpatient arthroplasty, as well as those that have had previous myocardial infarctions, pulmonary edema, congestive heart failure, um, having um, other medical conditions such as narcotic dependency. Someone who is young, less than 45 years of age, with a narcotic dependency that comes to you preoperatively being on it for maybe at first was good reasons, they had some other type of surgical intervention. This is a concern because you're going to use a program that has to be created with a team and the last thing you want is not to get pain relief when you have it. So I would say the next tip besides assessing and anticipating is creating that team. And that team should be reproducible. The team specifically is a primary care physician or a family practitioner that really can give you a medical clearance that isn't just, oh yeah, I cleared the patient. It really looks closely so that they too have anticipated any issues and you know it whether it's a sleep apnea condition, whatever it may be, because those don't have to be obstacles if you know ahead of time. Because we can then decide who's going to call the patient when they go home. Is it going to be you, the physician? Is it a nurse practitioner? Is it a physician assistant? Is it a medical assistant? And checking in, one shows the care, which is essential, and it also allays a lot of the anxiety. We in the field of orthopedics are known, and I would admit I'm guilty just as much, for not having that clinical empathy to really put yourself in the shoes of the patient. And once you've had operative intervention on yourself, it may change your outlook completely of what you yourself demand, and you should be able to deliver that to your patient as well. And so after the primary care physician, you need a team of anesthesiologists that can give you the right regional blocks so a patient can go home, they can uh, move their foot or their limb, but perhaps not feel it. And so they have to be seen by a therapist ahead of time to know how to walk, how to protect yourself. And once you have that, you yourself have to be able to be efficient because you need a surgical skill. And so you should always start with the easier total hip or total knee, not the complex one. Limit those things that you know might go wrong. And as you know, you practice and prepare ahead of time. It's the simpler case. It's the first case in the morning. Don't do something at four in the afternoon. And then see how it goes and see how the team does. And then get back to them. Say, how did you feel as a 360 evaluation? Was it okay? Did the post-operative nurse feel comfortable? Does everyone feel comfortable? And then last is the phase of the physical therapist. You need to have a team that 
maybe this person young enough can have a digital solution for therapy. And on the other hand, maybe this person has to go to a therapist so that another pair of eyes is seeing this patient on a regular basis if you're not. Those are great tips and uh, I think also you know, nicely uh, explained kind of from beginning to end. Um, so thank you for that. Um, so just to dovetail to that, what are some of the obstacles, maybe things you learned the hard way um, or things that you see other people running up against and uh, what are your tips to overcome them? I have to start first that your own hospital may not like the idea. Um, there are some hard facts that outpatient arthroplasty will change the reimbursement. And that is a, a problem uh, for the hospital that needs an overhead and needs to survive, and it's very important. And so it's a critical conversation that you have to have meaningfully with those administrators in your hospital. I think it's an educational process. You can't just do it day one. You have to meet with the team. So I think you should meet with the nursing supervisor of both the pre-op area as well as the post-op area to know this is what we're going to undertake and educate together at what their needs might be to feel comfortable as well. It's a change in mentality that the patient has to be educated as well. And so we like to show a video and as well, we actually give them a phone number of a patient. And of course, there was patient number one, but that's not the case. I'm lucky in my practice that say that the experience was meaningful and what to expect. Some patients don't like that if it's a numb leg, they fear that it will never return to having that sensation again. And we need to allay those fears. And so I think it's all about communication and transparency. And much of medicine fails at times when we don't communicate well or we think we do because we do it every day the same way, the same time, but it's the first time for the patient. And so we have to realize it takes some time. And I think you'll know, like all of our listeners, that we only retain about 11% or less of what is said. And so writing out material to hand to the patient ahead of time in a written document lets them go back with their family. There are other ways that you can have people visit uh, people at home. And so if they're very anxious, perhaps that's not the first one, but there are people that can get over their anxiety and have people stay with the person. And I think it's the significant other that takes a huge role now in transferring the care. But I will say it has bonded me with my patients uh, so much more that it's reinvigorated me at my point in my career that I'm so motivated and excited for them. And with COVID-19, and it's still lurking around the corner, even though we're in an endemic and not a pandemic, they feel much more comfortable to know that we come into the hospital and go home. I'd like to say also, I have the honor of working in one of the hospitals that's an outpatient office, so it's not a private surgical center that invented a situation that has no recovery room. So you literally go into a booth, learn in this room from the preoperative nurse that she says or he says, I will be seeing you when you come back out of the operating room. You go into the operating room and in fact, you come back in the same room. 
So that relies on incredible technical skills from the whole team. Um, and it's an exciting opportunity that the recovery room no longer exists. It exists almost in, in your home, in your space, that is the patient space. And I found that very exciting for some of the patients. Great tips and uh, obviously from, from a lot of experience. Um, so one of the last questions I'll ask then is, uh, and you maybe you touched on it just now with the uh, uh, recovery room less operating room, but uh, what else do you think that the future looks like for outpatient uh, total joints? If you had a crystal ball, what do you see uh, coming around the corner um, you know, in this field? I don't know that I'm good with the crystal ball because if I did, I'd have that Nobel Prize. But I think the first thing to think is you also have to be fair with your um, results. And so if you're going to prove something is always better, we know in medicine we have to collect the data. So at every stop along the way, we have to collect the data. And then we have to be willing to track the volume and record the surgical outcome. If you can't do that, then it's not a fair exercise because someone's benefiting or someone's not benefiting by it. And it should be about the patient at the end of the day. That's the most important uh, thing. So cost effectiveness has to be tracked. Outcomes have to be tracked. And uh, perhaps joining registries now so that we can be fair to see our surgical skill against others. We don't do that as well. If you travel as a pilot, isn't it interesting that if you've ever seen it, they sit in the jump seat, that third pilot, and investigate how the pilots that you're going on a plane are doing on a regular flight. Who's watching over us as a surgeon? Sometimes we don't have that. Maybe we should and see to improve our own skill set, especially if we're going to do this as an outpatient. And I think... The future is here that patient selection is key. And there are rubrics that are made by people a lot smarter than me that can judge uh, what you must do to pick the right patient so that the patient succeeds at the end of the day. So if I had to guess, I believe that outpatient arthroplasty is here to stay. I think it's because it's economic, but it's also the right thing for the patient. And those that can't, then we, of course, leave those to the hospital appropriately so to be cared and still have success so they can get back their activities of daily living and any sport that they want to do. All right. Yeah, I don't think anyone has a crystal ball, but um, I think that makes a whole lot of sense, certainly in the trajectory that we're on. Um, so I think that probably wraps it up. Uh, I think we covered a lot. Um, Again, I've been uh, talking with Dr. Kevin Plancher about outpatient total joints, why you should be doing them. Uh, Dr. Plancher, very, uh, very interesting stuff. Thank you for coming on the podcast. Thank you. It's been my honor. And uh, if you had questions, I'm more than happy to answer them. They can answer it through uh, your medium or at kplancher at plancherortho.com at any time to get us all on the same track and to learn from each other. Great, thank you.